0: you would, the Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Song of Solomon, chapter 8. We'll be con- concluding our study in this wonderful book, this wonderful song, of which there's no love song that ever comes close. This is just an absolute wonderful song a song of love between the heavenly bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his blood-bought bride, we who are the elect of God. The name of the message is Longing for Her Beloved. Longing for Her Beloved. Chapter 8, verse 1. Oh that thou wert as my brother, that sucked the breast of my mother, when I should find thee without, I would kiss thee, yea, I should not be despised. I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house. Who would instruct me? I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine, of the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand should be under my head, and his right hand should embrace me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love until he pleases. So this is the bride speaking through this chapter here. Who is this? that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved. I have raised thee up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth, and she bought thee forth that bare thee. Set me as a seal upon thy heart, as a seal upon thy arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house, all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly contemned. We have a little sister, and she hath no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in that day when she shall be spoken for? If she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I am a well in my breast like towers. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. Solomon had a vineyard at Belhemon. He let out the vineyard unto keepers. Every one for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard which is mine is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand and those that keep the fruit thereof two hundred. Thou that dwellest in the gardens the companions hearken to thy voice, cause me to hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a roe to the young heart upon the mountains of spices. And we come now to the close of this beautiful book, this wonderful song. And we see the church repeats her earnest desires for, the increasing, for increasing her knowledge of and communion with her, with her Lord, who is her heavenly bridegroom. And we see in this chapter the expressions of Christ and his church in their desire for fellowship with one another. Look at verse 1. Oh, that thou wert as my brother that sucked the breast of my mother. When, when I should fi- find thee without, I would kiss thee. Yea, I should not be despised. The church, the bride here is still thinking upon the same subject as the last chapter. She thinks upon his condescension. She thinks upon his condescension and what condescension uh, the Son of God has done. He left the glories of heaven. He became a man. Not just any man, the perfect man. God with us. The God-man. Sinless. Human. And yet God at the same time. And this he brings forth, the bride brings forth this in that, that he is her brother as well as her husband. As well as your husband. And it's a great blessing for the elect of God. To think upon and meditate upon all the names. Offices. And especially to think upon the condescension of Christ. It's a great blessing for us to think upon. That God, that God himself. Became a man. And every blood-bought believer says. He became a man. To save me from my sins. Oh what a blessing that is. For Just, just for us to, 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 to meditate upon that. and All that means is to think upon it. Just think upon it. Just think about it. Ponder it through the week. Ruminate on it, like like some of the old preachers say. Ruminate on it. Chew on it. It's wonderful that he did that. And and if you're a believer, you can say he did that for me. It'll bless your soul. It'll bless your soul as you think about it. And surely all of God's blood-born-again bought saints should delight to look upon this this blessed fact that that Christ is our brother as well as, as our Redeemer. Christ is the brother of his church. He took upon himself our nature. God himself took upon himself our nature. He became a man. And the fact that he is the seed of the woman, God incarnate in the flesh and and yet fully man, but yet fully God, this should leave us in awe. Hebrews chapter 2 says this Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Like unto us. We're humans. We can't save ourselves. We can't redeem ourselves. So God himself becomes a man to redeem us, to purchase us, to save us from our sins. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. There's another one of his offices that that God's people delight to look at him in. He's our high priest. He's not just our high priest, he's our sacrifice too. He's everything. And things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. He's sinless. But he makes reconciliation for my sins. And if you're a believer, for your sins. It's wonderful. As Martha sat at the Savior's feet and heard his word, so they that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we ever long to live in communion with him, don't we? We long to go through this world in communion with our Lord, with with he who has loved us. He who has loved us. And he who gave himself for us. And, and as we grow in grace, what do we do? We lean on him even more, don't we? We lean on him anymore. We, we, we lean less on ourselves and we lean more on him. We're, we're taught. We're taught to lean upon him. Look at verses 2 to 4. I would lead thee. And bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me. I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine, of the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand should be under my head, and his right hand should embrace me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love, until he pleases. So here we see the church desires again to be in intimate communion. Intimate communion with, with her beloved, with her heavenly bridegroom. And we who have experienced the grace of God in our lives, we born again by the Holy Spirit. We're redeemed by the blood of Christ. We, we, we fellowship with our wonderful Redeemer through the preaching of his word and through the, the reading and studying of his word. We desire even more communion with him, don't we? We do. We do. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. Do you, I ask you this, you who are his blood-bought people. Do you not desire him more now than you ever have before? As as you grow in grace and you learn more and more of the lover of our soul, we desire to learn more and more of him. We desire more communion with him. We hunger and thirst after righteousness more. And we know who our righteousness is. It's Christ. He he alone is our righteousness. Now note here too, Note this, his left hand should be under my head and his right hand should embrace me. Oh, we could spend weeks here. (laughs) We could spend weeks here, beloved. We're held in the everlasting arms of God. We who are his people are held in the everlasting arms of God. And this shows our utter dependence upon our Savior. Right here. It shows our utter dependence upon our Savior. He's our all in all. And think of this being being held by both the hands and arms of Jesus. Just shows us how he's everything for us. Everything for us. And in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. He's our comfort. When God's people are afflicted, we find no comfort in ourselves, do we? None. But we find comfort in Christ. We find comfort in our heavenly bridegroom. He's our strength in our time of weakness. And when aren't we weak? When aren't we weak? We think we're strong sometimes, but we're not. We find out we're not. We're weak all the time. But he's strong. He's strong. He's the bread of life for his people. And he's the the water of life, to all his blood-bought people. So to the babe in Christ, they're filled with the sincere milk of the word and they, that they may grow thereby. And the young men and the fathers have their spiritual senses both exercised and supported in Christ. He's strong meat for us too, isn't he? He's everything. He's our bountiful Lord. beloved. And all of God's people are taken care of and we're all supplied by Christ. For he alone is all in all to his people. Turn, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 33. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Oh, how, how much peace and how much joy God's people can find in the fact that we are held by the everlasting arms of God. And if he holds us, what's that mean? If, if God himself holds us in his arms, in his everlasting arms, that means we can never be lost, beloved. <laughs> we're, we're secure. Not in ourselves, are we? We're secure in Him. We're held by God Himself. That's why the Lord said, no man can pluck you out of my hand. Oh my. He has all power. Now, and, and, and no man includes even us. Even us, beloved. Look at this in Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven. 27. The eternal God is thy refuge. We could just stop right there. Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven. 27. The eternal God, let that sink in. The eternal God is thy refuge. And we know Christ is our city of refuge, isn't he? He's our refuge from the, the law of God. He's our refuge from the justice of God. He's our refuge from ourselves. <laughs> isn't he? But look at that. The eternal God is thy refuge. Jesus Christ is God. He's the eternal God. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Look at that. Oh my. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. Think of the enemies. Our own sin was our enemy, wasn't it? The law of God was our enemy. The justice of God was our enemy. All satisfied in Christ. All taken care of for the blood-bought believer in Christ. The eternal God is thy refuge. So, so we can look here and think, of, you, you, we can personalize this. The eternal God is my refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. I'm held by the everlasting arms of God. Isn't it wonderful? It's absolutely wonderful. Oh my so this wonderful text in Song of Solomon 8.3 brings forth the wonderful rest that we have in our blessed surety. And what a rest we have in Christ. He's our Sabbath, isn't he? We looked at that a little bit today. He's our Sabbath. He's our rest. That's what Sabbath means. He's a rest. Ponder in this verse that again we are in the embrace of our wonderful Savior. And what love should flood our souls. He who hath saved us by the shedding of his own precious blood, he who has redeemed us, he who has justified us before God by giving his life for us at Calvary's cross. We who are his blood-bought people are now embraced in his all-powerful, almighty, everlasting arms. And we all know what it's like to embrace our children, don't we? and embrace our our brides or our husbands and what love we feel. Let this set your hearts on fire, beloved of God. You are held in the everlasting arms of your heavenly bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are secure in Christ Jesus our Lord, and he who holds us in his arms Is the everlasting God. And we are safe in him. Safe in him. Secure in him. No evil shall befall us. Because he's our refuge and defender. And he alone is our confident rest. And we praise his mighty name for making it so for us. Don't we? Knowing that the only one who made us to differ is God himself. Isaiah 11.10, the scriptures proclaim this, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. An ensign. They used to hold the ensign in battles, and the general would have the ensign close by him. And the troops, if they were were failing, would rally around the general and the ensign. What an ensign we have. The Lord Jesus Christ, my To it shall the Gentiles seek. That's us. That's us. And his rest shall be glorious. Glorious. The rest the rest the rest that God's people have. Turn there if you would, I'll read that again. Isaiah eleven ten. This is just a beautiful scripture. We need to look at this. Isaiah eleven ten. And we know the root of Jesse is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this, Isaiah eleven ten. 10. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. Well, just as those troops would look to the ensign, we look to our ensign, don't we? The Lord Jesus Christ is our banner. He's our banner. It shall, it shall the, to it shall the Gentiles seek. Well, who do we seek? Christ our banner. Christ our Anson, and look at this, I love this latter part of this verse, and his rest shall be glorious. My, how glorious, how wonderful, how magnificent is the rest that the bride has in Christ here. We have rest here from the burden and guilt of sin, don't we? We have rest from the tyrannical power of sin. We have rest from the bondage of sin. And praise God, we're spared from the penalty of sin because our Savior took all that upon himself for us. This, is a, this rest is glorious. This rest that the bride of Christ has is absolutely glorious, as, as Isaiah says there. In Christ alone, we have rest from the curse and condemnation of the law. From the divine wrath of God. Because it's been satisfied in our great substitute. And his death upon Calvary's cross for us. We can rest in, in afflictions in Christ. Though, though not from them. We still receive afflictions, don't we? And persecution. But we can rest in those times. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. For we know we have tribulation in this world. And we look to Christ, don't we? We look to Christ, who is what? Our eternal rest, our hope, like we looked at in Sunday school. He's our hope. He's our only hope. And, and, and what brings us great joy while well, we journey through this, this wilderness of, of tears and woe, because that's what it is. What brings us joy is the fact that one day we'll be with him. We'll be with him. And like I said today, it, it won't be long, because our lives, our lives are like a vapor. I, I'm 54 years old already, and I remember when I was 17 and 18. It's just like that. I remember when they put my daughter in my hands, and my son in my hands, and, and they're both older now, and, and, and living their lives. Go goes so fast, so quickly. Life is like a vapor.
1: And what rest
0: and peace, though, we who are the sheep of God, we who are the bride of Christ, what, what rest and peace with God we have in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when our Lord reveals himself to us and, and makes his present known to us, our hearts are at peace, aren't they? They're at rest. And, and therefore, as we grow in grace, we rest more and more in him. More and more in him. Let's now consider verses 5 to 7 in chapter 8 here. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I raised thee up under the apple tree, where thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which have the most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it a man would give all his substance of his house for life, it would be utterly contaminated. It, this, is, this is wonderful. We, we see here in these verses that, that believing on Christ, leaning on Christ, looking to Christ, and resting upon Christ, trusting Christ, and having faith in him, we flee to him as the only refuge of our souls. And we who believe have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, beloved. And the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous runneth unto it. And what? And is safe. We're safe in our beloved. Safe in him. Realizing that we're, we were under the wrath of God and knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is God's only appointed place of refuge for guilty sinners, we, we flee to him. We're made willing in the day of God's power. He reveals himself to us. And, and faith is, is laying hold of Christ. It's, laying hold, it's like a drowning man lays hold of a, of a lion thrown to him. That's how we lay hold of Christ, isn't it? And, and we, lay, we lay hold of Christ and we cling to him. Now, we don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in the object of our faith, which is Christ. And he's the one who rescued us. He's the one we, we cling to. Faith is receiving Christ. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It's not receiving Christ into the head that brings salvation, but receiving him into the heart. It's not receiving the doctrine of Christ that saves, but receiving Christ himself. And this is a work of God. This is a work of God. True faith is revealed in Scripture, Loves Christ in, in all his offices, all his offices. It is our only acceptance before God. True faith has been shown that, that all our works, like we looked at this morning, all our works are like filthy rags in the eyes of the Lord. And that Christ is our only acceptance with God. We have no hope outside of him. If you're hoping in, your, in, in yourself or in your own strength, you're, you're hoping in a refuge of lies. That's the truth. And every blood bought believer we, we, we say that to folks because because we were there. We were either trust I was trusting in my religious works, before I was saved, I wasn't trusting in nothing, except the fact that I was so self righteous and thought, well, I'm not as bad as that other guy. Even before I was before before I, I knew what a sinner was, I, I was self righteous. Because <laughs> there was always someone worse than me, but what does God show us? No way, and you're the chief of sinners. My. And we flee to Christ, don't we? We flee to him. And by faith, we lean upon our beloved. We see that in verse 5. We lean upon Christ like a man leans upon, uh, like, like a crippled man leans upon, um, leans upon crutches. When I was young, I went through all kinds of um, uh, operations and stuff, and um, I had an operation when I was about twelve and they took me out of this cast that was from the my waist all the way to my toes and I'd been in that for six months. And and um I couldn't walk. I had to learn how to walk again. And I remember being on them bars and telling nurses, I can't do this. And they said, Yeah, you can. You've got to do this. You And praise God that the Lord had them just keep being persistent with me, right? But then I went from walking on the bars and wheelchair racing with the other kids in the hallway to being on crutches. And I still couldn't walk without them crutches. See, we lean on Christ. Just like when I was walking in them bars, I was leaning all my weight upon them bars. To learn how to walk again. When I had them crutches, I was leaning all my weight upon them crutches to keep me up. If I didn't have them crutches, I would have went down like a sack of wheat. That's how we lean on Christ, beloved. We lean on him. We lean on him. Oh, my. And we lean on Christ. This is an example I pulled from one of the commentators. We lean on Christ like a timid, frightened woman passing through some dangerous forest at night. Like, like, the, like she might lean upon the strong arm of her husband. And we lean on, on him in this way. Why do we lean upon him in this way? Because he's proven his faithfulness, hasn't he? Time and time and time again. He's proven his faithfulness. He's proven his love for us. Over and over and over again. And, and we lean upon him because he alone is able And he alone is mighty to keep us from falling. Left to ourselves, beloved. We would fall a thousand times a day, even more than that. Left to ourselves. But the Lord keeps his people. He keeps us from falling, Jude said. We still sin, don't we, to our shame, but he keeps us from falling. He keeps us from leaving the faith. He holds his people. You see someone walk away from the faith or walk away from the Lord. That person will never save. Them. They totally apostatize. My. No, God keeps His people. Keeps them, keeps them looking to Christ. Keeps them looking to Christ. And He's proven our faithfulness. He's mighty to save. And every day, the more we learn of him, the more we trust him. The more we trust him. We trust him more and more. We lean upon him more and more, don't we? More and more. And, and he, this is constant. This isn't just, well, I need you right now, Lord, because I'm going through a rough time. No, the believer learns real quickly that no, we lean upon him all the time. When we think we're strong and when we really are weak. Right, right? All the time. And our fellowship is with Him. We lean on the person of Christ. Think of this. Think of this. We as believers. We as, as His blood-bought people. We lean wholly upon Christ for all our acceptance with God. All of it, right We have, we have abandoned any sense of acceptance with God based upon anything we do. Anything we do. We lean wholly upon Him for acceptance with God. We lean lean wholly on Him who is our righteousness. We lean upon Christ for our justification before God. We lean on Christ for, for pardon of all our sins. And we lean on Christ for the cleansing power of His blood which cleanses us from all sin. Past, present, And even future. Oh, this is a complete salvation, beloved. It's a complete. Christ paid for all my sins on Calvary's cross. Did he so for you too, eh? All of them. Not just some of them. There were none left behind. He cried, it is finished. Payment, Payment made in full. You're complete in Christ. Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, it's absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. He supplied all our needs. And he does. He he physically supplies what we need. He he spiritually provides all what we need, temporal and eternal. You ever think of that? He gives us everything we need. He don't always give us what we want. And that's a good thing, though. That's a good thing. (laughs) We learn that, don't we? We learn that. But he always gives us what we need. Always gives us what we need. Think of that. Temporal. Well, we're here on this earth in eternal. All the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Now let's look at verses 6 and 7. We see faith preserving. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death and jealousy. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are are coals of fire, which which hath the most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If, If a man would give all the substance of his house for it. It would utterly be contaminated. So true faith loves Christ. Loves Christ, beloved. Loves him. True faith preserves. uh, True faith is preserving faith. It's preserving faith. The true believer in Christ will love him and will continue to love him. And we trust and will continue to trust in him. We who are his blood-bought people, we we love him and we will continue to love him. And our love for him grows, doesn't it? It grows. As we learn more about him, our faith in him increases also. As we travel through this wilderness of life, our love for him increases as well. And it's him working that in us too. We can't take no credit for nothing. It's him working that in us, beloved. And our Lord loves his people. So much that he gave his life for us. And he loves us with an everlasting love. Think of this. He loves us unto death. He loves us unto death. And we love him. And think of this. We're dead to the things of the world now. And, we, and then we're loving forever in glory. It says here we see that jealousy is cruel as the grave. We who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are jealous of anything that might draw us away from him. Anything. Because we love him. We're we're consumed by his love for us. And his love for us flames our love for him. Think of that. The more you learn about Christ, the more you learn about how much he loves you. It just fuels the love that you have for him. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. We're passionate about our love for him. And many waters cannot quench that love. Neither can floods drown it. He's put it in our hearts. Hasn't he? Yeah, He's put it in our hearts. The world and death cannot quench the Savior's love for us. And where true love for Christ is, it cannot be overcome or destroyed. It clings more and more to him who is our hope. And he who is the lover of our soul, the Lord Jesus Christ. And And my prayer is, Lord, may you continually grant faith and increase this wondrous love that we have as believers, that we have as believers for the Lord Jesus Christ, that that he may be, that, that our love for him may increase more and more, and that he who is the object of our faith, that our love for him would grow, and that we would see him more and more as our hope, as our hope. He's the only hope we have. And this is my prayer too for all of us who are His people. That He would become more precious in our eyes. And as we grow in grace, for the true believer, as we grow in grace, He becomes more and more and more precious to us. Let's look at verses 8 to 14. To close out this wonderful book, but we're we're spending a little bit of time on this. We have a little sister, and she had no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? If she be a wall, we will build upon her a a place of silver, a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I am a, a wall, and my breasts like towers. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. Solomon had a vineyard at, at Belhamon. He let out the vineyard unto keepers. Every one for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand. And those that keep the fruit thereof, two hundred. Excuse me. Thou that dwellest in the garden, the companions hearken to thy voice. Cause me to hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be thou like to a roe or a young heart upon the mountains of spices. Now, we who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ are the children of God in everlasting love. Our eternal God chose us in Christ, he adopted us in Christ, and he purchased us by the precious blood of Christ, again, who is God incarnated in the flesh. And we are purchased by God the Son. We are purchased by his blood. And he alone is our righteousness. And he was our substitute before God's justice. And he was the fulfiller of the law for us. For us, We could never fulfill the law. He did it for us. For we who believe. He's all our righteousness. He died at Calvary as our substitute. He did this to satisfy the law and justice of God that was against us. And God's people praise his mighty name for what he's done. And we who believe are born again blood-washed saints, born again by the Holy Spirit of God, all by his sovereign power. Don't ever let that become commonplace. You are born again by the sovereign grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the sovereign God of the universe. You are born again. Oh, and it's all by his grace and mercy, all by his grace and mercy. And we trust the Lord for all our salvation. Again, wholly leaning and resting in He who is our hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we lean upon Him again for our eternal acceptance before God, don't we? Our eternal acceptance before God. We're clothed in His righteousness. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 1. We we'll read verses 26 to 31. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I, I like what Henry says, that just means common things, common things of the world to confound the wise and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen yea and things which are not to bring to naught things that are look at this that no flesh should glory in his presence there be no boasting in heaven no nobody be boasting about what they have and what Christ is our reward Christ is our reward, beloved. there would be no boasting in glory. That no flesh should glory in his presence. If one man received more than the other, remember the penny? All the servants received the same penny, didn't they? Whether they worked all day or whether they only worked a few hours. Christ is our reward. Christ is our reward, beloved. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it's written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Note, Christ is all our wisdom. Christ is all our righteousness. Christ is all our sanctification. Christ is all our redemption. In short, Christ is our everything. My hope is built on nothing less. In Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Look at verses 8 to 10. We see Christ our Lord giving us instruction concerning our responsibility toward our sister. We have a little sister and she hath no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in, in the day when she shall be spoken for? If she be a wall, we will build upon her a place of silver, a palace of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I am a wall and my breasts like towers. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. Now note, we have before us a question of both compassion and concern. We have a little sister and she hath no breasts. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? The bride of Christ raises a question concerning her little sister. And what is suggested by John Gill in this passage is that this speaks prophetically of the church. The church of God, which is scattered among the nations of the Gentile world. And through the gospel was revealed only to the Jews in the Old Testament, the Lord God had espoused to him a people from the nations of the world before time began. Remember that. Right There's a remnant from the according to grace, but there's a, there's a people who are chosen of God who are both Jew and Gentile, both Jew and Gentile. And it was plainly revealed in the Old Testament that the barren and desolate Gentiles would be united to the Lord as a bride and that the church would be made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And here the church of God among the Gentiles is called a little sister, little sister, because Jewish believers and Gentile believers are children of the same Father. We're children of the same Father. beloved. We who are truly his people. And the time of her espousal to Christ was not yet come. And at this time, the Old Testament time, she she had no ministers, no ordinances, no scriptures, no prophets, no covenant, no ordinances, no promise, no instruction. She had no one to tell her about the sincere milk of the word. And it was some time after the gospel came to the Gentiles before they had a settled ministry, as one preacher said. Though chosen of God in eternity, their election was not yet manifest and revealed. But the bride of Christ consists of both Jew and Gentile. And this title belongs to all the lost sheep of God, the elect of God who have not yet been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us never forget that all of God's elect belong to Christ. Every one of them belong to him. They belong to him right now. Even though some have not yet been born again, they still belong to him. They still belong to him. We were once dead in trespasses and sins. Just like they are. And they are espoused to him in covenant love. And he will have them. He will have them. He will gather them. He will gather his sheep to himself. Why? Because he purchased them. He purchased them with his own precious blood. He gave his life for them. They are his by creation. And they are his by purchase. And not one of them will be lost. Not one of them will be lost. Turn if you would to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Look at this. I was talking to Brother Drew about this on the phone today. Acts chapter 18. Look at this in verses 9 to 11. Then the Lord spake. Paul the night by vision, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee. For God to tell a man that he's with him? Oh my. And look at this. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Now, he's telling Paul to go and preach the gospel. And look what the Lord's saying here. For I have much people in the city. He tells Paul, you go and preach there. Because I have much people there. There's a bunch of lost sheep there. And their time of love is coming. It's coming. When he appoints it. When he appoints it. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is why we proclaim the gospel of Christ. This is why we seek the furtherance of the gospel. Because Christ uses the preaching of his gospel to draw in lost sinners, lost sheep, all by his mercy and the power and grace which which comes from him. And we we who believe are granted faith. Faith. And we come to hear. We come to hear the preaching of the word. Look at verses 8 or verses 9 to 10. If she... If she be a wall, we will build her a palace, of silver. And if she be a door, we will enclose her with, with boards of cedar. I am a wall and my breast like towers. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. Notice it's the bridegroom himself who, who will build up the church. It is he who, who cares and watches over his bride. He adds to the church. That's evident when he tells Paul, you go and preach there, because I have much people in that city. He adds to the church, beloved. He adds as he's pleased. And he's pleased. And note the bride acknowledges this in verse 10, the fact that, that she is the one who has found favor in his eyes. Look at that. Then was I in his eyes as one that found favor. favor. Do you know that salvation is altogether the work of God and it's entirely a matter of divine favor? We who, we who have received this wonderful gift of salvation in and through Christ have found divine favor. Remember what the Bible says about Noah? And he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found favor, beloved. He found favor. There was nothing in him to find favor. We acknowledge there's nothing in us to find favor, will we? But when we look at this, we're we're as, as one that's found favor. Divine favor. Now the Hebrew word for this, this word favor means peace or tranquility. Peace or tranquility. And think of what, Peace the believer has found in Christ. Divine peace. Peace with God, and we have the peace that passes all understanding. And what tranquility we have in Christ. What tranquility we have in Christ. Rest for our souls. Rest for our souls. Rest from our labors. From the works of religion which we were trying to justify ourselves before God. Rest from all those works. And we found favor in the Lord Jesus Christ and through him alone. Let us now consider verses 11 to 14. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He let out the vineyard unto keepers. Every one for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand. And those that keep the fruit thereof, two hundred. The church is Christ's vineyard. And faithful pastors are called to labor in Christ's vineyard. But let us not forget that every believer, every believer in Christ is entrusted with a part of the work in the vineyard. Every believer. Every believer. And the service of the church is, is... To be our business in this world. right? Each according to the capacity that God has given us. The gifting that God has given us. We all have different gifts. Every one of us. Have different giftings. But we're united in one cause. The furtherance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're united in that. And thus our Savior's cause must be our cause. Must be our cause. And it is. We're like a. I was talking to John and Roy about this. We're like, a, we're like an army unit or, a, or even the Navy. You have one mission. One mission, the operation that you're to do. Whatever operation you're on. Well, our continuous operation is the furtherance of the gospel. To preach and proclaim that. To have it sent forth from here. All for God's glory. All for his glory. And every one of us have a part in that. Every one of us. It's wonderful. Let us take note of the closing verses here in this book, which again is all about Christ and his bride. Thou that dwellest in the gardens, the companions hearken to thy voice, cause me to hear it. Make haste, my beloved. Be thou like a roe to a young heart upon the mountains of spices. And take note here, beloved, that remember that this is a song of love between the bride and her bridegroom. Now, for now, we're here upon this earth, aren't we? We're here in this world, we who are his blood-bought people. We're separated from our our bridegroom, although he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. But one day we will see him face to face in glory. We won't be separated from him anymore. And The Lord has now ascended into glory, right now. Right now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Right now. And he's seated there in glory and majesty. And he's our one mediator. And he hears the prayers of his people. And remember, he's there interceding for us. Interceding for us. And we hearken to his voice, don't we? We hearken to his voice through the preaching of the gospel. We hearken to his voice through the reading of his word. And it makes us long to be in his presence. We're we're homesick for glory, aren't we? We are. People don't understand that when you tell them that. They just they don't have any idea what you're talking about. Unsafe folks. They haven't I didn't when people told me that. I had no idea what they were. What? You want to die and go home and be with the Lord? Oh, I got a whole life to live. Well, then you find out that your life is in the Lord's hands. And that each one of us have an appointment with him. And for the believer, it's a graduation day when we die. We receive, I like what Brother Norm says, we receive our promotion. We go home to be with the Lord. And there's sadness for we who are left behind, simply not not for where the person is, because we're rejoicing for when the believer goes home to be with the Lord. But there's sadness in that, for now, our fellowship with them is broken for a time. But only for a vapor. Only for a short time, beloved. Only for a short time. Oh, we we like Paul desire to depart and be with our Lord, which is far better. We long for his return, too, don't we? We long for his return. We see that in verse fourteen. It's good for us that we are, are dwelling down here in his garden and laboring in his vineyard. But we desire we desire to be with him. We desire to be with him. Turn, if you would, the 1 Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we we'll read this in just a couple more words and we'll be done. Our Lord is coming again, and it's our business to, to labor and work in his vineyard, living in anticipation of his return, trusting and resting in him, and joining together in the furtherance of his precious gospel of his precious gospel. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 5, where we read verses 1 to 11. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. No one will escape the wrath of God. Not one. Not one Christ-rejector or Christ-hater will escape the wrath of God. But ye, brethren, are, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the night and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And for in an a helmet the hope of salvation. Well, we know that the armor of God is Christ, right? So he's telling us like he told us, like Peter told us to, to set, our, set our hearts on Christ, set our minds on Christ. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, because Christ Christ, Took our wrath that was due us, it fell upon him. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, God's appointed us, look at that, not to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you, have we not found divine favor in Christ? Who died for us, the sinless one dying for sinners that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. Behold, he cometh, beloved. Behold, he cometh. And may this comfort our hearts as we labor in the vineyard here below. He says, surely I come quickly. Oh, my. And here either come for us at at our death or here come For us when he comes back. Even so, come quickly, Lord. (laughs) so, Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the study that we've had through this wonderful book which brings forth the the everlasting love that you who are our Heavenly Bridegroom, Lord Jesus, have for your blood-bought bride. And we see all through this book our unworthiness We know that we're black with our sin, but yet, oh, Lord, we marvel that that the bride proclaims that we are calmly, which means beautiful, in your eyes. And it's all because of thy righteousness. It's all because of what you've done for us. And we rest and trust in you wholly for our acceptance before God. Lord, we love you. We who are your people, we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.